Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to the weekend. Coming up, we'll be talking about this. Hoping to pick a pocket or two for children in need, please give a generous welcome to the cast of Oliver! And chatting to him. <laughs> You'd get absolutely battered if you uh, sang round the dressing room, that's one thing for certain, because footballers can be cruel. I'm wondering why on earth anyone would pay good money to see this. Hey, Elf! This is my little helper. I have nicknamed her Lazy the Elf because she appears never to work. Father's only Christmas get me out of here. Joining me to pick through the week's highlights is the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner, music critic Adrian Thrills, TV critic Claudia Connell, and our entertainment columnist Baz Bamigboy. But first, at this time of the year, every year, Children in Need unites fundraisers across the country with a show featuring some of the brightest stars in sport, music, television and film. Since 1980, the BBC's charity has been raising money for disadvantaged children and has become known for its celebrity-filled annual telethon and its mascot, Pudsey Bear. Last year, it raised 50.5 million quid, and the total across its 40-year history is thought to have topped a billion. This year, Children in Need is bringing together some of the UK's biggest talents to record a cover album, Got It Covered, which features stars like Jodie Whittaker and Olivia Colman. However, the album was controversially removed from the race to be Christmas number one in this week's charts. The official charts company said Got It Covered was heading for the top spot in the main album chart, but now it's been moved across to the compilations chart. It's the latest controversy to hit the charity, which has previously been criticised for holding on to sums in its investment account. So has Children in Need passed its sell-by date, do you think, Claudia? I think it needs a revamp. It's been going for 29 years now. When it launched, it was just a series of short films in between the regular programming. It didn't wipe out the entire evening schedule across BBC One, BBC Two, BBC Radio, as it does now. I remember, Baz, that it was Terry Wogan's thing, wasn't it? I mean, is it missing tell as its figurehead, do you think? I think it's missing Terry. And I think also, it sounds awful, but I'm getting a bit of fatigue, a bit of donor compassion fatigue about children in need, I think. And excuse me, but have we had enough of Pudsey the Bear? I'm sorry, but he's been around a long time. Is it time for a new kind of mascot for the show? Is that the problem? It's just I that think we're all I grown th- exhausted with the same old, same old. And, and also, our children have grown up, and I see young children who, to be honest, couldn't give a monkeys about the bear. They want to see something a bit funkier. We're coming into 2020. Come on. You know what? I am rather jealous because I wanted to have a hold of the old comedy sausage. Oh, this is my sausage. <laughs> And anyway, you haven't done the required BBC handling a large prop training course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Does afford me a certain bottom. Uh, Claudia, it's done some fantastic things over time. I mean, a billion quid yes, raised it's in raised its history. A, a, Come on, we can't billion. argue with no, that, you, can you we? can't knock that. But, and you feel like the worst person in the world when you say, I'm not going to watch it. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to raise money for children, but it's just boring. It's the same every year. You have... A celebrity version of Strictly. You have the cast of EastEnders doing some musical number in Albert Square. And 
various people that just have something to plug coming into the studio. Uh, so a person who is paid to watch TV ain't going to watch it, uh, Claudia. Uh, are fewer people watching it than they used to? I think about six million watched it last year. So they're not as good as they used to be. And it's interesting that Comic Relief, which we have in March, which is the BBC's other big telethon, that raises significantly more than Children in Need and has better viewing figures. Person they rule the world with the addition of a fifth member. They've simply gone stratospheric. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Gary, Howard, Jason, Mark and Robbie. So, Baz, this is the thing, isn't it? Comic relief, we're going to have sports relief. You've got Channel 4's Stand Up for Cancer. Too many, do you think? I need relief from relief, frankly, <laughs> to be honest with you. No, look, I think it's great they raise all this money for disadvantaged children. But, I mean, everyone wants our money now, don't they? I mean, the poor people who are being flooded in Derbyshire need our money. Poor people in Syria, Somalia. You know, I give money to, to President Trump to help with their psychological evaluations, frankly. <laughs> um, I give money to anyone who needs it. But isn't the point about children in need that it was actually, you know, on your doorstep? It was for British kids who needed help. That, as a theory, surely is about as attractive as you can get for a charity, isn't it? Yeah, but we don't know where that money goes now. I'm not doubting. I'm not sort of raising any red flags, but... Do you know where the money goes, Claudia? Anyone can go online and you can see their accounts. They are quite transparent in that, but they have been criticised in the way they distribute their grants in sitting on money for long periods of time and in some of the charities that they're supporting as well. But Claudia, is your issue with the very principle of a telethon or the way in which this has grown stale? What's your problem? I mean, are telethons in themselves past their sell-by date or just this one? I think they are dated. I was sort of looking into it. Obviously, they originated in in the USA and they don't have any national telethons in the USA at all now. So it does feel like they've passed their sell-by date. Adrian, this album of cover versions uh, that we've seen, I rather like the Jodie Whittaker version of Yellow. I thought that was quite sweet. Uh, Not something that will be spinning on your turntable, I was going to say. That's a bit old-fashioned. It always seems to be Coldplay, doesn't it? The celebrities, when they cover a song, Yellow is is a time honoured favourite isn't it and Coldplay are a fine band but it's one of those songs that's just its impact's been diminished by its sheer ubiquity but having said that I think there's a couple of interesting selections on the latest I think what I'd like to see with the celebs when they do these charity covers is to be a bit more bold in their choices and I think Olivia Coleman has done Portishead's Glory Box which is a, a very brave choice If they show a little bit of thought and invention in the song choices, I'm still for, you know, it's a good cause and it's it's quite nice to hear. I mean, I think it's great that they do all those songs, but I think it sounds, as, as described by you just now, a little middle of the road for me, frankly. I think I want a bit, something a bit more funky uptown. Baz, you spend a, a lot of time talking to celebrities. One of the criticisms that's always levelled against celebrities getting involved in charity is they've got something to sell and it's a good way of doing it. Is that still part of the kind of PR routine? You've got a new film out. 
Get on children in need. Well, I don't want to be too cynical. I mean, I think on one hand, people are very nice and they want to help. But you do have to think that marketing is factored in at the same time, which kind of does get on my craw, frankly. Bob Geldof started all this way back in the 1980s, getting celebs to do their bit. When we see this show on Friday, Claudia, are you expecting... A lot of people from The Only Way is Essex to suddenly appear. No, they do get good names appearing. I think they've had Taylor Swift in the past and they will get A-list names, whoever's in in the country at the time. That's not the issue, but it's like you said, it's the issue of are they in it for themselves? I'm doing the news. What, it's live? Yes. Oh. Hello, Great Britain. It's going to be sunny tomorrow. I don't care if you're in the this farm, but if you can, this would be great. Thanks. And Baz, you're not even watching. So, I mean, some of the little film inserts that they put that really tug at the heartstrings when they're getting you to donate as quickly as you can, get on your phone and donate. Some of those are very, very moving. It's very hard not to get on your phone no, some and donate. Some of them are very touching, but I think as we move on, there's got to be a better way of raising money for these kids. And I think we've got to see more of where it goes as well, frankly. Baz, OK, I'm going to put you on the spot then here. There's got to be a better way. Tell me what it would be. Well, maybe not getting on the phone. I'm suspicious of giving my money over the phone. Maybe there should be something more around computers online. Make Bring it up to date. Make it a bit more funkier and sexier. I'm not sure exactly. I need to think it through. And get some different, more funky people. Claudia? Yeah, I think change the presenting team. Maybe look at doing it every other year. It might have more impact rather than doing it every single year. What, you think yeah. it's getting a bit too monotonous Especially in its, when in you've its got, processes? Yeah, and then you have the six-month break and then you have comic relief. So I think maybe if they alternated them, one one year and one the next year. i tell you what drives me... Can, can I say this? What? Can I say this? What does drive me nuts is that when Caucasian artists go to Africa and they get their hair done in the cornrows. That drives me nuts. They get their hair done in an African way, and they put on African kind of designs, and they get on down with the children. Oh, it's nice to see you. I'm sorry, but it makes me want to throw up. There are some black celebrities in the world that might be better suited to go and to go and do such things. Nothing against you white people, but, you know, <laughs> keep it in check, baby. <laughs> Thanks so much to Baz, Claudia, and Adrian. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, our regular segment where our critics ignore the hype and tell us what they really think about the week's new releases. First up, Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Uh, Adrian, what have you been listening to? I've been focusing on great voices this week and voices that some people may say sit very much in the middle of the road, but uh, I'm going to mount a passionate defence of the merits of both Celine Dion and Mick Hucknell. Whoa, um, you are going out on a limb. My hipster credentials, what I left with them, are now going firmly out the window because I'm very impressed with the new Celine Dion album, which is out today. I mean, she's the queen of adult contemporary, the kind of diva, you know, famous for her power ballads. I think about Celine, she's got a fabulous voice and I've seen her live and... She doesn't go in for these vocal histrionics that so many of today's divas do. She she sings it straight and very passionately. And her, her new record, Courage, she's still pretty much in the middle of the road, but she's edging ever so slightly towards the left field in that she's, she's working with some very interesting songwriters who've written with the likes of Adele and Eminem and Rihanna and Madonna. And it's not quite what you'd expect from a Celine Dion album. I'm staring in the face of something 
I know what I expect from a Celine Dion album. I expect I'm not going to listen to it. So why should I listen to this one? You expect those full blast power ballads, don't you? The uh, the Titanic theme and her cover of All By Myself. I've always thought there's there's almost like two Celine Dion's. There's the one that we get singing these big power ballads. And I, for my sins or for my job, have sometimes listened to her French language albums. And she has a kind of much kind of more jazzier torch song feel to some of the the french language albums that she that's obviously her, her first language being a french canadian and there's a slightly softer approach on this new album there's some nice jazzy torch songs there's a kind of a softer song called say yes which is really nice and there's there's big ballads there's one written by dan wilson who wrote someone like you for adele um, called lovers never die which is a nice big kind of bond theme almost there's one by an american female songwriter called skylar gray who wrote love the way you lie for eminem or with eminem called falling in love again and it, it's kind of very emotional stuff as a critical reappraisal agent, a hit or a miss for Celine Dion? Well, just for the kind of the simple piano ballads and even a couple of goofy dance track, I'm going to make this a hit. You also mentioned um, Simply Red. I'm worried for you that you're now going to tell me that Mick Hucknall's done a good album. I'm afraid Mick Hucknall is uh, he, he's on, on a pretty good run at the moment. And you may remember he split up Simply Red in uh, 2010 and said, that's it. There's no more, no more Simply Red. Of course, as with all the great artists, he reformed them three or four years later. And uh, he had a comeback album called Big Love about four years ago. That was a very kind of passionate, reflective, almost sometimes quite dark album. Uh, the new one, Blue-Eyed Soul, he's gone back to the uh, the kind of classic, well, it's called Blue-Eyed Soul, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's uh, just the, the kind of funky, simply read we know from hits like Stars and Something Got Me Started. That's how strong my love is. That's how strong my love is. I mean, he's got a fabulous voice and it's a voice that it's deepened a little with age, but he still has that really silky high end and he's singing brilliantly. And there's two or three really good songs. It's a little bit schmaltzy in places. There's a a lovely song uh, called Sweet Child about his daughter, Romy. There's one about his wife called Tonight. But he sings these ballads just so well that you can't fail to get um, sucked into into Mick's romantic world. Mick Hocknell, uh, Simply Red, hit or miss? We've got two hits this week. It's a hit. Brilliant. Thanks so much to Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. I'm joined by the Daily Mail's film critic, Brian Viner, to tell us about the week's top movies. So, uh, Brian, what have you been watching? Well, I have watched a film called Le Mans 66, which actually is, in America, is called Ford versus Ferrari, which gives a possibly a slightly better idea of what it's all about. And that's it, folks. Ferrari wins the 24 hours of Le Mans for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford, Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars in ugly factories. And, uh, he called you fat, sir. 
set in the mid-60s, as you've probably guessed, and it's about the Ford Motor Company's attempt to get into racing because they felt that their image was a bit staid and they weren't selling enough cars and they just sort of thought, well, let's get into racing. And to do that, they hired a car designer called Carol Shelby. It's all a true story, played in the film by Matt Damon, and he hires a British driver, played by Christian Bale. His name was Ken Miles. And together, they sort of put together this team and this fantastic car, and Ken Miles was an amazing driver. I'm ashamed to say I'd never heard of him, but I, I have now. And um, what, what a story, because they, they basically took on Ferrari at their own game. This was all inspired by Henry Ford, the very sort of, Henry Ford II, actually, the very patrician owner of the, uh, the Ford Motor Company, the grandson, I think, of the original Henry because he tried to buy Ferrari, and Enzo Ferrari, the owner of Ferrari, refused his buyout deal, and Henry Ford was so sort of incensed and indignant about this that he thought, right, we're going to take them on at their own game, we're going to, we're going to go to Le Mans, the 24-hour race, and we're going to beat them, because they keep winning it year after year after year, and that's, that's the story of the movie, and it's, um, it's really enjoyable, and you don't actually need to be into motorsport to have a thoroughly good time, because I'm not, and I, and I couldn't have liked it more. How's Christian Bale's brummy accent? I mean, is he going to get a part in the next series of Peaky Blinders? Good point. Christian Bale, his character, Ken Miles, comes, I think, from Sutton Coldfield, and he, he's, got a, he's got rather a good brummy accent, I think. I mean, I'm not from Birmingham myself, so I wouldn't swear by it, but it sounded pretty, pretty convincing to me. What we forget about Christian Bale, of course, is that he, you know, we see him so often playing American roles, but, you know, he's British through and through. He's a, he's a Welsh boy and from, I think, Haverford West, if memory serves. Even from the trailers, Brian, you get the sense that Tracy Letts, as Henry Ford Jr., kind of steals this movie. Yeah, so Tracy Letts, who is a very fine American actor, not really a household name, but he's a very good actor. He's also a very accomplished playwright. He's a, I think if you watch, uh, anybody who watched the uh, Channel 4 series Homeland might remember him. He was in that, and he's, he's quite a familiar face without being a household name. But he plays Henry Ford II, who, as I say, is this very sort of stern, patrician, uh, rather pompous and arrogant man. There's one absolutely priceless scene where he's taken for a spin in the new car. And <laughs> it's just, I mean, it is laugh out loud funny. And Tracy Lux does it absolutely brilliantly because, of course, he's terrified. You know, he's, he runs this empire, but uh, actually sitting in one of these cars is, is a new experience for him. It's a very, it's a very funny scene. Um, it's a long film, but it's very much worth seeing. And that particular scene is worth the price of admission on its own. OK, Brian, hit or miss? So I would most certainly pronounce this a hit. And uh, what else have you been watching? Well, I had the pleasure, no, pleasure is definitely not the right word, uh, of seeing a film called Last Christmas. I'm a mess. I was really sick and I nearly died. I don't tell people because they get weird, but I don't think you'll get weird. No. I'm just scared all the time. They just expect me to be normal and go on with life. There's no such thing as normal. Just being a human being is hard. So, I mean, what right does a Christmas film have to come out in the, in the middle of November in the first place? So that, 
might make people suspicious to start with. But with any luck, everybody will have forgotten it by Christmas. It is absolutely dreadful, I thought. It stars, well, it's written by Emma Thompson. And whether you like her or not, she's usually a a class act, both as an actress and as a writer. She's won an Oscar for her screenwriting. And it's an original idea by her and her husband together. And, oh, my goodness me, it is it's a rom-com. It's cheesy. It's poorly acted. It's badly scripted. Overall, then, hit or miss? <laughs> you hardly need to ask the question, Jim. But anyway, it is most definitely one to miss. Many thanks to Brian Viner, the Daily Mail's film critic. And now here's this week's special guest, and I'm absolutely delighted we are joined by a living legend, Chris Kamara, the man who many of you have seen on your screens on a Saturday afternoon, delivering some of the finest football punditry, and then doing the Ninja Warrior presentational duties on ITV. But Chris has got an unexpected new talent that he's been displaying. You've released a big band album, Chris. How on earth did this happen? Well, I did the programme that was on the BBC called All Together Now. And Rob Beckett and Jerry Halliwell are the hosts. And my agent rang me and said, do you want to go on there? And I said, yeah, I've got mine. But I'm going to have to sing Brown Eyed Girl. I've watched the programme. And the 100 cabaret singers and all those people who are the judges, if they join in after 30 seconds, it's got to be a sing-along song. So he said, okay, and he went to the organisers and he said, yeah, Camille will do it, but he wants to sing Brown Eyed Girl. Anyway, they came back to my agent and said, oh, look, we've got too many people singing singing home songs. Would he consider singing a ballad? And I said to Simon, no, no, not at all. I'd rather not do it. And he said, well, it's not like you. You normally go into these situations and have a bit of fun. And I thought about it and I said, oh, yeah. I said, OK, if I've got to sing a ballad, it's got to be Elton John's Your Song. So he went to them and they agreed to it. I did it. And Adam Greenup from Silver Screen Records was watching All Together Now and he thought my voice would be perfect to sing along with a 22-piece big band in a swing style and that's how we got there. Here's to the season, happy holiday Here's to our near friends and those far away Snowmen as those snowflakes fall Wet through and frozen from us The thing is, Chris, you can really sing. Sorry, I sound surprised there, but you, know, you can really... Uh, did you know you could? I mean, uh, do you sing a lot? Do you sing in the shower? you off the floor. To be honest, I've always been able to hold out a tune. What I didn't know was that the swing style would suit my voice as well as Adam Greenup thought it would. And it's been amazing with the 22-piece big band. You know, all of a sudden, this is how low it's come for them, that I'm stood in front of them. But they were absolutely awesome. And at the end of it all, they said, look, we've both complimented each other, so which is great. When you were a footballer and then you became a football manager, were you always singing around the dressing room? Did you have a tune on your lips all the time? (laughs) You'd get absolutely battered if you uh, sang round the dressing room. That's one thing for certain, because footballers can be cruel. 
Gareth Ainsworth, who is the ex-player and now the manager at Wickham Wanderers, he's just released an album as well. I think most footballers really would like to be pop stars at heart. Certainly most <laughs> pop stars would like to be footballers, wouldn't they? Actually, I did know Gareth Ainsworth was into his rock music I remember seeing him on Soccer M at the way back. Didn't realise he'd um, brought out an album, though. Good luck to him. I hope it comes up. But yeah, I think quite a lot of musicians love their football. So they would love to have been footballers, and uh, a lot of footballers would love to have been singers. The thing we know you for is your catchphrase, Unbelievable Jeff. <laughs> was, was there any, any sort of calling it? Unbelievable, Jeff. <laughs> no, not at all. To be honest, I thought when they started putting the album together that we would have fun with some of the songs, you know, Frosty the Snowman and stuff like that. And they said, no, 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 this isn't a bit of fun. This is a proper album that's going to sound fantastic. And, you know, these musicians, obviously, they want to put a smile on people's faces, but not in the way that mocks the song or mocks the music. Christmas number one? Well, that would be out of this world if it was. We've gone from 100 to 1 to uh, 5 to 1 second favourite. I'm going to put some money on it. Chris Kamara, thanks so much for joining us. Now it's back to the hits and misses. This time, what's coming up on television with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's TV critic. So what should I be tuning into, Claudia? Well, on Sunday, War of the World starts on BBC One. Ladies and gentlemen, it seems that something has arrived in England. A shooting star. Do you think it could be from Mars? Something can erupt from Mars and end up in Surrey. There's something inside. It's opening. There's been a lot of intrigue around this production, BBC production, because it was filmed 20 months ago and it was meant to be on last Christmas and it just got sort of shelved inexplicably. And it's been seen in other countries. They've seen it in Australia and New Zealand and Canada. But for some reason, we're only just seeing it now. Um, And when the BBC sits on productions, it's normally not for a good reason. Uh, And have Um, you caught a glimpse of it? I mean, were they right to sit on it? I've seen the the first episode. Um, what what's good about this is that it's um, it puts it in a period setting because H.G. Wells wrote the book in the late 1800s and this is set in Edwardian times because there's been endless you know productions of War of the Worlds and usually it's given a modern setting. Um, so I like that about it. Um, again, in the book, um, the main character is is nameless. So here they've given him a name, George, who's played by Rafe Spall. And a backstory, and this is quite clever, the backstory that they've given the main characters is based on Wells' own story. So Wells um, was married off to a cousin, um, and he then left his wife for somebody else and ended up living in sin with another woman, and that caused a a lot of scandal. And that's the story that they've given to the main characters in the book. that sounds quite promising. It sounds quite it? promising. So but what's then the issue? What, what that does is it actually made me much more interested in their love story than the whole alien attack. Um, the the downside, if if people are tuning in to see the Martians, then you've got a long wait because they don't make, put an appearance until ten minutes before the end. Um, and when they do, I mean, is it good? Is there is there a budget behind this? You know, are Star Wars fans going to get excited? I thought some of the special effects looked a bit ropey, actually. Um, I don't know what the budget was, but it's it's um, when again they've tried to be very loyal to the book uh, when it comes to the 
appearance of the aliens. So they look like these big spider creatures. They look like daddy long legs. And I just think we've become so used to great special effects in movies. I, I, I think it's a little bit disappointing. It seems an odd one to go back to, doesn't it? I yeah. mean, we've seen so many interpretations so many different versions of, it. of it. Yes, it it does seem an odd one, and it's yeah. And I, I'm I'm sure the BBC must have been sitting on it because it hasn't it hasn't it's not particularly good. It's it's only three parts, so um, and she I, says with a tone <laughs> of relief. The, the performances are good. Like Rafe Spall is good. Um, Eleanor Tomlinson from Poldark uh, plays his partner Amy, and she's very good as well. So hit or miss, Claudia? I'm going to say it's a miss. And what else have you been watching? Well, I haven't been watching it, but because it's live, but coming up again this Sunday is I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. My name is Caitlin Jenner. My name's Ian Wright. I am Nadine Coyle. My name is James Haskell. Jacqueline Jusser. My name's Kate Garraway. I'm Roman Kemp. I'm Miles Stevenson. My name's Adele Roberts. I'm Andrew Maxwell. You don't know me. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I don't, I don't like heights, don't like spiders. Not, not the best way in my life. I don't really know why I'm doing the jungle, actually. We've been talking about uh, viewer fatigue, yeah. and yet this is this... somehow uh, a, a format that keeps on delivering audiences. 17 years this has been going for, yeah. So we know Ian Wright's taking part, Kate Garraway, uh, James Haskell, the rugby player, and then the usual assortment of soap stars and reality stars you've never heard of. There was a bit of talk about John Burko, the uh, the former speaker I think he has there. said that he's not. I he was demanding a million quid, I think, was was what I heard. Yeah, I read that as well. That would have that would have spiced it up. I mean, it is entirely down to the casting, isn't well, it? Well, they've got on their all, big signing always. that we know is true is um, Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, now, uh, she's supposedly got half a million pounds, which is still not bad. Um, Caitlyn Jenner is part of the Kardashian clan and formerly the um, the Olympian Bruce Jenner. Um, but Americans don't actually tend to do very well in the programme. So I, I don't think she would have a chance of winning, although I think she get voted for a lot of trials. Yes, I think that's that's mm. the issue as well yeah. because it actually plays into the rampant sadism of the audience, doesn't it? There's oh, yeah. always someone who we love to see suffering. Yeah, and and actually where the Americans go wrong is because they don't really see the programme and they don't know that if you if you show any signs of weakness, then you're going to get picked, you're going to get guns, you're going to get, be made to eat kangaroo testicles, which is what the audience wants to see. There's also been, uh, over the years, a kind of growing sense that actually it's a little disgusting, the fact that they're constantly eating animals yeah, they live have, they on have screen. Been are they going to row that. back from that or no. are we going to see... That, that's the one trial that everyone wants to see is the eating trial. So no, they're not going to pull back. That's, that. not, that's not. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Kangaroo testicles, yeah. all sorts of all bugs. That. They're yeah. all going to be eaten. Yeah. And are you going to be watching? Is it a hit or a miss? It's going to be a huge hit. Claudia Connell, thank you so much for joining us. Now let's find out what they're gossiping about on the other side of the Atlantic, and who better to ask than the Daily Mail's own Jackie Stephen. Hello, Jackie. What are you chatting about? Well, I'll tell you what's very interesting at the moment. When I came to the States 10 years ago, all anyone could talk about was John Cleese. Everywhere that you went, it was, do you know John Cleese? Have you seen Monty Python? Uh, they were obsessed with him. And now, all anyone can talk about is Ricky Gervais. Every single place I go, do you know Ricky Gervais? Well, I happen to know him a little bit. And everyone is obsessed with his stand-up routine, uh, with Derek Richard 
which they've seen uh, extras, which has won a Golden Globe and an Emmy. And he's presented the Golden Globes on several occasions and has been a huge, huge success here. Now, on December the 1st, he's nominated for The Rose Door, which for his show Afterlife, which has just been commissioned for a second series. Hugely, hugely popular. And they just adore him here. He's a huge success, but Jackie, I'm more interested to know whether your slight acquaintance with him has actually opened any doors. Are you now led straight to the front of the line at these um, swanky nightclubs that you go to? (laughs) I tell everyone in America that I know everyone. You know, you walk into someone and they say, have you met the Queen? I say, yes, whatever. (laughs) Because they, they all think that we all live next door to each other in the UK. Why do you think Ricky's suddenly taken off? I know the Golden Globes, he had this kind of irreverence and took the mickey out of everybody and undermined in a very amusing way the whole institution. But that was a couple of years ago. Why is it taken to now for him really to hit the mainstream? I don't think it's taken till now. I think he's been popular for quite a while here. But I think that he, like a lot of Brits here, uh, is popular because he's different. You look at James Corden, Damien Lewis, Michael Sheen, Matthew Reese, Ricky. They, they're all very different and not your traditional Hollywood male. Now, what's interesting is that women haven't taken off in the same way here. Because in Hollywood and in America generally, women still have to conform to a certain type. Whereas when you look at the men who've made it, they're all very, very different. One of the interesting things about Ricky Gervais is, though, as far as we know in this country, you know, he's he's appearing on the Graham Norton show uh, this week back in England. He's never left, and yet he's made it big in America without apparently spending a lot of time over there. How's he managed it? I mean, James Corden had to move there, didn't he, before he became a big figure? Well, James was already successful on Broadway, so he didn't have to move. I think that he did that out of necessity because when you're offered several million pounds a year to do a talk show, of course you're going to move. Ricky spent some of his time in the States, but they're different genres. You know, James is presenting a live chat show, uh, whereas Ricky is doing recorded stuff, and his second series now, Afterlife, has been commissioned. So he's not doing the live stuff, so he doesn't actually have to be in the States. You started this by saying that John Cleese used to be, when you first went to the States, the biggest star. Anyone talk about John Cleese anymore, or has he disappeared off the radar? Uh, he's totally disappeared off the radar. But and all that effort you went generation. to, claiming you were his long-lost daughter as well. Oh, Jackie. I, I know, now I'm Ricky Gervais' best friend. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Daily Mail's Jackie Stephen, reporting for us from the United States. And that's it from It's Friday this week. Thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at itsfriday at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back next Friday and every week with your Mail Plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk. But for now, I'm Jim White. Goodbye. Goodbye.